Welcome to the Modern Merriman Podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merriman is a podcast of the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian lay people will rightly divide the word of truth. And uh, we have another uh, guest to interview this morning, so why don't you introduce him? Yes, we have the honor of having Steve Meister on with us uh, this, uh, for this episode. Um, Steve is a pastor uh, of... Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sacramento, California, where he focuses on preaching, theological instruction, and the church's ministry internship and leadership training. Uh, also serves on the board of Bible Translation Fellowship. Steve and Jen have been married since 2002, and they're the parents of four children. Steve, it's a great honor to have you. We'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I love your project and what you're about. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much, brother. Um, well, this time we want to be talking about biblical ecclesiology and the law and the gospel. And so our first question for you today is, in general terms, what would you say is the relationship between biblical ecclesiology and the law and the gospel? Yeah, I think, first of all, this is such a great topic to drill down on. And one, I think, that is often missing in the connection between uh, how the church is ordered according to the regulations of Scripture, um, and the function that our polity and ecclesiology has in um, rightly clarifying the gospel in its ministry to those who are in the church as well as to the world around us. I think one place where I like to go in Scripture to help fill this in would be First Timothy. Uh, in First Timothy, Paul is obviously writing to Timothy there in Ephesus, and in chapter one, he's essentially dealing with begins with problems with the law and gospel in Ephesus. You have men that are wanting to be teachers of the law, but they're spinning myths and genealogies. There's legalistic tendencies that are showing themselves. That even shows up later in chapter four with uh, men forbidding marriage and meat. And so what Paul does right at the outset of the epistle is he first clarifies uh, that the law is to expose our sin. It's not to make us just in verses 10 to 11. And he walks through the use of the moral law and exposing sin. And then also that is to educate the Christian. It's according to sound doctrine. And then he goes in this really important uh, uh, excursus on his own testimony in chapter one, uh, when Paul talks about himself as the chief of sinners. And what I believe he's doing there essentially is evangelizing uh, the false teachers and the Ephesians, um, and that Christ came to save sinners, uh, among whom he is foremost, and that he is an example of all who would believe. So you have there in chapter one, very clear delineation from the apostle in First Timothy of the law and the gospel. And then the climax of the letter then with the charges that flow from that and the instructions is in chapter three, certainly in verse 15, where Paul says he's writing so that you know how to behave in the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. Uh, and that's just such a um, momentous statement about how the church functions in the world. And you can look into the background, he's writing to Ephesus, they're familiar with big columns and the great temple of Artemis. And he's saying in the world, the church is the, the column and the pillar of the truth, which I would take as a synonym for the gospel. Uh, Amen. It is the truth of Christ into the world. And he goes on then on the very next verse, to then describe the gospel in verse 16, great, we confess the mystery of godliness, that we are mm. godly because of the work of Christ. 
um, and in those couplets there in that verse. And so you really have there a great example of in scripture and you can go to many others um, where the purpose of the church, the purpose of the household that the gospel forms is to rightly display and to demonstrate uh, both Christ coming to save sinners and then how those sinners are being formed um, by God's instruction in his household. And so um, one thing I like to remind our congregation and teach others is that we shouldn't see uh, church order and community outreach as somehow uh, two different goals or as unrelated, um, but that our, our order together, um, how we behave in the household of God is directly tied to how the truth is upheld in the world, how the gospel is understood and perceived, uh, both in our declaration of it and then how we uh, live in response to it uh, by the instruction of God. And so I think it's really important that we, uh, as we understand our ecclesiology, that we understand it is sort of the the prongs that hold up the diamond of the gospel to the world. And Amen. that's why it's so important. Mm. Amen. That's a great analogy, Amen. brother. That's really helpful. Yeah. So then why, in, in light of that, why, why do you see understanding the relationship between the law and the gospel essential to uh, church membership? And as, as Baptists, of course, regenerate church membership. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even that leads us into being Baptists, of course, with no disrespect <laughs> yes. to other traditions. Um, I, I think, you know, to put it simply, uh, our understanding of membership and the processes that that might entail in our churches is that it's intended by design uh, to show to uh, the world and to confirm uh, among us uh, that we are the God's people, we're God's household, we're people who know the Lord. Uh, the fulfillment of the new covenant uh, uh, in our midst. Um, and, and maybe to, to simplify it, that we're a people that are created by faith alone, uh, trusting in Christ, but then being formed by God's word. Um, and that that's the, that's the main function of the church and our, our order in the world. I think you see that when you trace the ecclesiastical thread in Matthew, um, from Matthew 16 to 18 to 28. And so as we see Peter in Matthew 16, 18, being the, uh, giving the first true public confession of Christ as being the Christ, the Son of the living God, and then the Lord saying he's building his church upon Peter as a true confessor and giving him the keys to bind and loose, the authority to assess and to declare true confession. Um, and then in Matthew 18, that belongs to the whole congregation uh, as you confront sin, a brother, in the household who is not turning from sin. And then the church as a whole with Christ in our midst is making that assessment if there's no repentance. And then when it culminates at the end of Matthew and Matthew 28, um, you really see, I think, the, the whole order of the church and our task to make disciples. So we are to be, uh, we're brought into the new covenant people by the sign of baptism. We were brought into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, baptized in that name, showing our union with Christ through faith alone, and then being taught to observe. Um, so we're not just learning doctrine, we're learning how to obey the commands of God. We're being formed as his people in the context of the church. And so I, I think, you know, in, in, in broad strokes then, 
um, the function of the church is assessing uh, who is a true confessor, a true gospel confession, and um, what is the life then that is lived in response to that and being formed um, in God's church uh, uh, in light of resting in Christ. So, you, you know, the, this understanding of the law and the gospel then does things like identifies who the church is, um, and it keeps us from tendencies to uh, identify or organize churches around any other standard or rule, whether that's uh, political preference, um, uh, 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 ethnicity, even just simple geography or history or politics or, or anything else. The church is formed by a sound confession of the gospel, and the church is, is those who trust Christ and who believe in him. And so that's who we are. Uh, we're the household God has made. And that's also Amen. the main thing that we do in the world. Um, so I often will remind our church, you know, what's your, what's your main responsibility as a Christian in the world, as a member of the church? It's not simply just to sort of show up and listening to preaching on a regular schedule. It is participate in this community that is marking out the truth of who Christ is and confessing him in the world. And um, so their main responsibility as church members is identifying a right confession in those that we would bring in as members. It's also assessing those who administer that gospel. So our officers in the church, especially elders who are able to teach and deacons who hold to the mystery of the faith. Um, and then also then assessing right preaching and right ministry. Uh, when the apostle is dealing with false gospels, uh, like, uh, you know, to the Galatians or to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, a different gospel, um, he's writing to the congregation. They're responsible to assess the ministry that is publicly being taught and proclaimed. Um, and so in, in many ways, what the church does at its most basic root is protect and guard the gospel in the world and making mm -hmm. sure that the clarity be of who Christ is, how we were saved in him by faith alone through his redeeming work um, and, and, and making sure that is clear and distinct and certainly then encouraging one another as we're, you know, we're formed in him by his word. And so understanding the, the clear distinction between law and gospel is, is critical to really drawing the right boundary and circle around the people of God from the world, if that makes sense. Amen, brother. That's a that's well said. And uh, just continuing, though, to think about church membership and the right relationship between law and gospel. Uh, what if it was imbalanced in one way or another? So what if a church, um, you know, neglected the gospel, emphasized the law, and perhaps, you know, there was some sort of, there would be, but what would it be? What would be the, the, the negative effect of that? Or uh, preach the gospel without the law. Of course, there's a sense in which you can't obviously you can't se uh, separate them. Um, but what would be what would be the result of imbalance in one direction or the other? Yeah, I think most simply is you would lose assurance. Um, the hmm. very thing that I think at the heart of the Reformation, the work of the Reformation, and what we want to hold to you're going to lose assurance among the church. Um, you're either going to have standards for membership and belonging uh, exceed faith in Christ and resting in him uh, that is either going to create self-righteously arrogant people or despairing and usually a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. um, or you're going to remove discipline entirely and you're just going to see the church devolve into scandal and licentiousness and, and just mm -hmm. to lose, be indistinct 
uh, from the world. Uh, mm-hmm. you, the church membership, and, and often this is sort of a, you know, a, a pitch. So when I teach our membership classes, you know, what, what do you get out of joining a church for those who are maybe new to it? You get assurance, <laughs> you know, that's a, a, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good deal. Um, you get assured of who you are in Christ. Um, you know, I think a lot what Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 2, where he talks about his struggle uh, and prayer and ministry so that the Colossians reach um, all the riches of full assurance in Christ. Uh, but then the prerequisite of that or the condition of that that he's praying for is that they are in, their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love. That the conditions, if you will, or the, the means by which we grow in assurance and confidence is that our hearts are encouraged or strengthened by the ministry of the gospel, which is what the church does, um, and that we're knit together in love with other Christians, and that the fellowship and the commitment we have in uh, our covenant commitment as we understand it as members is designed by God to deepen our assurance in Christ and in who He is. Uh, I was just reflecting even on, uh, last night with in our elders meeting on Hebrews 10, and of course, we're very familiar in verses 24 and 25 of not neglecting to meet together and to gather. Uh, but, but that is a consequence of what comes earlier at verse 19, that we can draw near with full assurance of faith that there's a new and living way open for us. And Amen. so really our gathering as, as a church is because we have assurance to gather. We can be in Christ's presence, right? Um, and encourage one another to love and good deeds uh, because we are assured of the living way we have open to us to God through Christ. Um, so I, I think mainly what I would say is the reason these are, are, are so vital, what you will lose if you lose this distinction is you're going to lose assurance as a church and as Christians. And then of course you're, it's going to uh, unwind and it's going to infect all the processes and means by which, and we, of course we all do it a little differently in our churches, but the general means of membership processes, um, what, are, what are you mainly as elders, what are we mainly examining when we consider commending a new member to the church? We're mainly looking at their confession of Christ. Um, do they trust him? Do they know the gospel? That's our main thing. Um, there's going to be all sorts of other immaturities. Obviously, we see, especially if someone hasn't been a member in a church before, they're a new Christian. Um, that, that's what church membership is for, is to form them to observe Christ's commands. But we're mainly looking at not if they have a history of, of religious activity or uh, a lineage in the church or, or any other thing. We're looking at do they know Christ? Uh, and his word. And that needs to be front and center then in all of our, you know, our interviews, our examination, our uh, membership processes, however we work that out in our churches, uh, the gospel and understanding who Christ is and resting in him. And then, of course, in teaching, then the accountability that comes in our formation as disciples in church membership. I, th- I you know, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I, we can keep going on this theme. There's lots of other uh, um, really, issues that touches on in terms of our fellowship. Yeah, I, brother, I think that's a fantastic answer that you gave. But um, just going on with another question, what would you say is the relationship between the sacraments and the law and the gospel? How do you think a right understanding of law and gospel support the right administration of the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper? 
Yeah, I think if we, um, it's a good question. I think if we understand uh, the sacraments as visible words, um, that they're visible ministries, uh, and, uh, the ministry of the gospel, um, that it's not just our public proclamation of faith, which it is, but it's also a, a tangible reminder of God's promise to us in Christ. Um, so, for example, our church covenant, which is derived from um, a church covenant going back to the 1800s, the New Hampshire Baptist Confession, uh, says in the reminder in our commitment to holiness that as we've been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave, there's a special obligation on us now to lead a new and holy life, that baptism is a reminder of our our death and our resurrection in Christ. And of course you see that in Romans six and, and throughout the new Testament. And so um, rightly understanding our baptism as symbolizing our union with Christ um, and who we are in him. And then the Lord's supper, just renewing that, that our participation with the body. Um, so something I will say often when we're at the table as a church is our examination prior to the Lord's supper is not examining whether there's remaining sin in our life. You will find it. If you think for more than 30 Amen. seconds, you'll find well it. Said. Yeah. 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 We're, we're examining what Paul says in first Corinthians 11, it, judging the body rightly, I, I believe tied in the logic of going back to chapter 10, the body is the church and dealing with the discord and disunity there that, that really what we're examining and look at is are, are, are we resting in Christ and then part of his body? Have we been brought in by faith? And that then testified to in baptism and, and demonstrated in that way. And so um, what we then have then is another means of assurance or confirmation of the promises of the gospel. Or Robert Bruce, who said that, you know, in the sacraments, in baptism and the Lord's Supper, we don't get a different Christ um, than we get in the preaching of the word, but we get Christ better. Uh, we get a better sense, more tangible in the the visible participation of the sacraments and what God is doing in that. And so that becomes really then a point of assurance and growth in the gospel and then a motivating renewal of our life, um, our, our life before God and obedience uh, that we're we're renewed in the lesson that Jesus taught Simon in Luke seven that having been forgiven much, we love much. And so there's mm -hmm. that commitment of obedience and, and zeal for the Lord that comes from that. And so that's what we're protecting when we have fences, when we have standards, um, as we uh, keep those things together. Um, so we fence, you know, we fence the Lord's Supper to those who have been uh, professed faith and have been baptized and are members of a, of a gospel preaching church. You don't have to be a member of our church, but you have to be a member of a, of a church and have your, your faith confirmed in that way. And, and that, I think, is just such a, when I talk with guys who disagree about the practice, I, I will often say that's one of the most evangelistic things that we do. Uh, because as we have the Lord's table, we often have people that come that still have the, the little inner papist in them that are coming to have this mystical connection to Christ, to the Lord's Supper, that's not connected from a at least a clear, true understanding of who he is. And often when we fence the table and we have people come in or visitors come, and, and sometimes people are, are quite offended 
to be frankly, that, that we said that they couldn't participate. And that opens has opened up some of the, the best conversations I ever have with people about the gospel. And I get to talk to them about why are you here to have the Lord's Supper? What do you, what do you think? What are you getting out of it? And invariably, there is a, a, a misunderstanding of what the Lord's Supper is and therefore what the gospel is. So I get to clarify that with them. Um, so you, you get that with the right with the right fences you're again clarifying the gospel to the world and clarifying it to others, both assuring the church and also giving the right exclusion to those who haven't confessed and, and trusted Christ. And I think that's, that's administering the, the, the sacraments or ordinances properly is, is so really vital to the ministry of the word and the ministry of the gospel to, to the church and to our community uh, around us for sure. Amen, brother. Mm. Amen. Well, that's helpful, uh, brother, to hear, and uh, hope we can continue this conversation. But uh, I want to thank you for joining us, and thank everyone for listening to the Modern Merriman Podcast, the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org.